Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor. I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm going to invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with, shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional deal gone wrong, because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate, from the life they're now able to live to the person they become along the way as they pursued their dreams in having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Well, good day and welcome to this episode of The Everyday Millionaire. As always, before we get underway, I like to just take the time to say thank you for your feedback to the show and to remind and continue to encourage you to send any of your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at reincanada.com. That's CEO at reincanada.com. And if you're inclined, I'd definitely appreciate it if you were to rate the show or comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever other platform you happen to use to listen in as well. Please follow us on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. For me, and aside from the direct feedback you provide me, the greatest form of appreciation is if you are enjoying what you're learning and hearing, then please share the Everyday Millionaire podcast with others, such as your friends, your family, your associates, whatever that might be for you. The show continues to gain really great traction and increasing momentum. So I just want to say thank you in advance for sharing it. If you find the show worthy of passing it on to others, then that's awesome. And please don't stop the feedback that you do provide the Everyday Millionaire team and I. It's important and appreciated. Okay, so let's get this show started. My guest today is Robin Doobie, a long-term member of the Real Estate Investment Network. Robin is a woman who wears many, many hats, among them, of course, being a real estate investor. But she's also the marketing manager for their accounting firm, their business. She's a wife. She's a mom. And she's just generally a pretty outstanding lady. Now, on the real estate side of things, Robin and her husband, George Doobie, have been investing in real estate since about 2001. Their first purchase was actually the office building for George's accounting firm. And it just certainly grew from there. Smaller projects starting out, duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes. But that was their early focus of real estate investing. And it was about buy and hold. But over the years, they've moved on to larger projects, including joint venturing on multifamily and commercial real estate investments. Today, they own over 80 doors, the majority of them in Ontario, and certainly with some, you know, a handful, I guess, in Alberta. Robin focuses on buy and hold properties with the current strategy of buying older, undervalued buildings, renovating, and then refinancing. They're always actively looking for the next project that fits into their portfolio to grow. Now, real estate investing is, as many of you know, truly a team effort. 
and especially in their family, with George acting as the role of deal maker and Robin acts as the operations manager for the real estate business, handling the daily operations of the real estate portfolio, including the bookkeeping, coordinating with property managers, making day-to-day decisions, and keeping the business organized and running smoothly. Of course, all this happens while still working. Uh, Well, she's a business owner, so more than full-time job is marketing manager at BDO Canada, which offers audits and accounting and advisory services. And she manages the marketing activities for six offices in southwestern Ontario. This includes everything from social media to event planning to attending various real estate events. And you may have seen her, if you're a RAIN member, at the RAIN meetings, where she goes to network with other like-minded investors and the community, of course, and also to learn, always on a journey of learning more. And finally, but most importantly, she is a wife. She is a mom to two children, a daughter age 16, and a son age 10. And we ask, how does she manage it all? Well, a combination of fierce organization and straight-up hard work. And, as she likes to say, maybe the occasional glass of wine to see her through it. We're going to have some fun today talking with Robin Doobie, ladies and gentlemen. And without any further delay, let's start talking with Robin. Robin Doobie, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. So excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Thanks, Patrick. I'm excited to be here too. So Robin, you know, of course, with the Everyday Millionaire Podcast, this is really about individuals who've had a nice degree or a degree of success, whatever that is, in their businesses, in life, in their careers, whatever it might be. So I often use the phrase seemingly ordinary people who have achieved extraordinary results. And you know, certainly over the years that I've gotten to know you and your husband, George, of course, um, you certainly fall mm-hmm. into that category for me. Anyways, that's my experience of you. Yeah, actually, it's great that you put it that way, because when I was thinking about podcasts and listening to your other podcasts, I kept thinking, why do you want to talk to me? Because I'm just like an ordinary person working hard, trying to achieve success. And I was like, that's just my life. So I'm interested to see where the conversation is going to take us. Well, of course, we're, you know, we're collaborating on this conversation, so it'll go wherever it goes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I always, <laughs> you know, I always like to start with my guests in that our lives are vast or what we've got going on changes from day to day and there's always something moving and shaking. But, you know, ultimately, you know, I like mm-hmm. to say, what is your what's your elevator pitch? So for you specifically. And I really want to talk to you, Robin. I'll talk to George another day. You know, you as partners with your husband, George, that's awesome. And, and George is a cool guy, mm-hmm. but he's a cool cat. But you're, you're way cooler. And so I, I just really want to talk about you. <laughs> so, so, I'll have to tell him that. So, so share with me, uh, what would your elevator pitch be, so to speak, or your explanation if somebody said, so Robin, what do you do? So Robin, what do I do? So there's a couple ways to answer that, which is the factual. So factually, I'm a marketing manager for an accounting firm, work with my husband and his business partner and a bunch of other partners. That's sort of the facts. I'm a mom. I have two kids. More facts. Um, And I also invest in real estate and manage a real estate portfolio. Again, more facts. But I say what I do is I look for adventures. I look for life adventures. And I like going from one adventure to another, um, and whatever that adventure is. So it doesn't mean climbing a mountain for me. It means 
looking at a project or looking at um, an activity or a challenge and trying to meet it. So Now, I want to talk a little bit about, just so upfront for individuals, uh, a little bit about BDO because okay. you were originally Doobie and Katini, which was George and uh, George Doobie, Peter Katini, and they had their firm, yep. their accounting firm. And then yes. what, about four years ago now? I think you changed over uh, with PDO, partnered with PDO. Yeah, so January 1st, 2015. Yeah. So, of course, BDO, George, and your team have been a you know very significant part of the Real Estate Investment Network and our members and mm-hmm. services that you provide them, et cetera. In behind the scenes, though, was Robin Doobie in all of that. <laughs> And, yeah. and, and I say in behind the scenes, you know, from our perspective, you're, you're more in behind the scenes than George and Peter being, you know, the, the accounting and the onstage personas that they have and people have of them. And in behind all that is, is you supporting your husband and your business and doing what you do, playing the role that you play. So let's go into that just a little bit about. On a day-to-day basis, are you going into the office every day? Your marketing manager? What what was that whole story and journey? Okay, so I'll talk a little bit. I'm going to take it back a little bit further, if that's okay, Patrick. Because I so be yeah. So before um, before BDO, before Doobie and Katini, um, so George had his own accounting firm, and I obviously supported that in the sense of you know I didn't argue with him when he wanted to start his firm. I said, yeah, go for it over the years, supported each other financially, obviously. But then I also started getting more involved with the business, going to events, doing their website, doing blogging, you know, social media stuff. So I was getting more behind the scenes. And then you started probably seeing me at rain events, partly because I wanted to learn more about the real estate we were investing in. So I was attending for my own benefit. And then I was also there helping, helping them. And then at the same time, I was also growing my own career. So I had, I was working for a high tech firm. Um, I was doing a variety of things there and I eventually got into communications and I was managing people. Um, and that was going really, really well. And actually quite successfully for me, it was a quite a large firm. And at some point, George and his partner, Peter said, Hey, we want you to come and work for us. And we had always been very much, okay, I'm going to work on my career and have my job. And that was kind of our, I don't want to say our hair or like our safety net, but in the beginning, it definitely was because you're starting a business. There's not a lot of cash flow. You have to have something to bring in money. Right. And I enjoyed it too. It wasn't like I was had to go work. I just, I really enjoyed what I was doing. And so they said, no, we want you to come and work for us. And I said, well, wait a minute. I'm not sure I want to be working with my spouse. (laughs) That's not necessarily what I think is a good idea. Let me just back up a little sure. bit. So in, in, because I think that's a really good point of entry in terms of part of this conversation. What was it, mm-hmm. what was it that you were saying to yourself? I don't want to work with my spouse. What, what story were you telling yourself at the time? Do you think? Well, I was telling myself all the stories that everybody else tells you. So you all, everybody has these horror stories about the spouses that work together or they worked for a couple and it was just, you know, it, it, it never ended well. Nobody ever tells you the good news stories, right? Um, so that those were the things that were going through my head. I think if I had sat back logically and said, wait a minute, this is kind of ridiculous. We actually have been working together for a very long time, just not officially. So 
So why wouldn't we do it? But no, I was, there was a lot of that, like, okay, I was successful in my own mind at least. And, uh, he, he would acknowledge that as well. He was successful. So why do we want it? Why do I want to change? Why do I want to change all that and move over to work with them? And then I said, okay, well, if we do this, Peter actually took me out for dinner and kind of interviewed me, which wasn't really an interview, but it was a discussion about how is this going to work? Like, what are sort of the ground rules? If you're working together as spouses and there's another partner in the business, what are the ground rules for this? How is this all going to happen? So we went through that and I said, okay, I'm going to work for you guys. So I started 2011, September 2011, and I worked my butt off because we were growing rapidly. From the time I started to the next year, we doubled the size of the business. I hired in the first four months, I hired seven people and then continued to hire after that. Like it was just, it was great. We rebranded the firm. Like we were doing a ton of stuff. So I was working, like going to work during the day, coming home, doing stuff with the kids. They got to bed. I'd do some more work in the evening. And then I'm not sure if you're like this, Patrick, but I'm the person that when there's a lot of projects going on, a lot of new things my brain has a hard time shutting off. So I'm up at three in the morning thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think most people are like that, especially if you're entrepreneurial. So like I'd be up at three in the morning. Well, I'm up, I'm thinking about this stuff. So I'd get up and go and work. So, which I don't recommend for a long period of time, but it really helped me get through that initial hump of all this stuff that had to happen. So we got through that. Um, and it was fantastic. Actually, the working together went really well. Um, it was probably the best thing that we ever did. The reason there's a couple of reasons on a personal level. I actually, I thought I understood what my husband did when he went to work. I thought I understood about having to deal with clients and all that kind of stuff. And I had no idea until you're actually in it, how exciting it is, how stressful it is, um, how deadline driven it is. So that was really good because I, to understand where what had been happening with him and his business for quite a while. I learned a ton of stuff about cash flow. And admittedly, I'm an English major, so I have no finance background whatsoever. So I didn't understand those aspects of business. So it taught me a ton of things about business that I didn't really understand. It was a huge learning experience and it was good for them too, because I brought a bunch of skills to the table. Working for a larger company, I had the experience of putting processes in place marketing experience, communications experience that they wouldn't necessarily have had in a smaller firm. So all of those things together really helped. So you're kind of, you know, you're, you know, you've got George and Peter with accounting brain and doing what they do from an accounting point of view, you as an English major and more probably a less pragmatic, not that you're not pragmatic, but you know, we joke all the time about accountants and how they think it's kind of like engineers There's just a way of thinking that they have it's very black and white. It's, it's, you know, it's certainly, it doesn't go into the realm of creativity in an artistic way, although they can be very creative in their accounting function or their engineering function. So it's not to make it wrong, mm-hmm. but it is a different way of thinking. So you brought, I think you would have brought a whole different kind of perspective to the business in terms of how to grow it, brand it, do all of those things. Is that, is that an accurate statement? Part of it's accurate. So I would say the issues with branding and communications and things like that, I definitely brought that to it. George and Peter are, I would not view them as typical accounts because they're very entrepreneurial. I would look at them more as business people. Gotcha. Yeah. So their creativity comes with sort of the art of the deal and um, helping people and that kind of thing. My creativity is more on the, say, 
communicating and ideas for branding and things like that. So if I, if anything, I would have to say that I'm actually maybe more pragmatic oh. or, um, yeah, which is odd. I know that's probably an odd thing. I'm very, very analytical. I'm very process driven. So it's a good combination. So let's go back a little bit. Now you're sitting down with Peter, because I think this is just a, an important conversation to have, you know, listeners, there's, there's mm-hmm. definitely going to be people out there that are considering working with their husbands or significant others. I shouldn't say husbands because mm-hmm. it could be the other yep. way around. Now yep. you sat down with Peter and had a conversation with him as a partner. Now, I mean, that's a pretty responsible, that's a, you know, fairly responsible, mature thing to do is to consider that, <laughs> hold it, you know, you're bringing your wife into the business. And what does that mean to me mm-hmm. as a partner? Because what kind of conversation was it with, with, with Peter? What, what did that night have for you? Actually, it was a great night. So we uh, we went out for dinner, beautiful summer day, sat on the patio, had great dinner and had a great talk. And it was actually Peter that said we should hire Robin. So, I mean, George was all on board, but Peter was the one that brought up the idea first. And I think partly George may have been reluctant to, because of course, for exactly the reasons you're talking about, like you've got a business partner, why do you want to bring in the wife? You know, you're talking about like, in terms of, oh, whose side is she going to take? Like sure. all those kinds of things I'm sure go through your head. Oddly enough, I'm a little bit more personality-wise like Peter. So it seemed, it just worked. We had a good conversation. It was very relaxed. And honestly, when Peter and George got together as partners as well, that was, George and I have a rule that when we start working with people, we both have to meet them. We both have to like them. We both have to get along because it's us together. So Peter, uh, we'd already had a dinner like that before when they joined in partnership just to say, hey, do we really like this person? Do we really want to be working with somebody like this, this many hours a day, this many hours a week? That's a very intense, stressful kind of situation. If you can't get along, it's very bad very quickly. So yeah, it was just about what are you going to bring to the business? And he was actually, he was almost talking me into it. So, cause I'd be like, well, what about this? This might be a bad thing, or this, this may be a negative. He's like, no, I think we should, we have to go for it for these reasons. I think you're going to be great at it. We need what you're doing. So yeah, it was a really positive conversation. Obviously it, it turned out quite positively because I joined and, and within the next few years, the business grew so much that we had attracted some interest from larger firms. And that's when BDO came onto the picture. And for us, it was really a decision about, we have access to more resources. We have access to more people. We can service our clients better. Um, and we get some backup. Like it's, you know, I don't have to do everything. I can focus on the stuff that I'm really good at, which is the marketing and the communications, and talking to people. And I don't need to worry about whether the computer's broke. So it was a good decision that way as well. It was good for our clients and it was good for us personally too, because it took some pressure off and let us do the things we were really good at. Yeah. You know, Stephanie and I, you know, my wife, Stephanie and I have worked together in businesses for 25 years. We've, you know, and mm-hmm. we have three operational businesses, plus a couple of other things that we have going on. And we're constantly having conversations about business and what roles we're playing in those businesses, how we're supporting each other. In this time that you've been working with George, what have you learned about each other? What have you learned about your relationship and what kind of things have you, if you were kind of passing on, you know, guidance or, or advice to others, what have you learned that you would say, you know, something, there's something you should pay attention to here. 
That's a great question. So stuff that I've learned, I think it worked well for us because we each had our own success and we were each good at different things. So I'm never going to argue with him about tax and accounting because I don't know that much about it. And he's not going to argue with me about what we should be doing on social media because he admits I am the person that's technical in the family. So that helps a lot. You have your, your lanes that you're really good at and you're supportive of each other in that way. It also helped that we didn't, I think, that we didn't do it right away. Um, we were a little bit older, a little bit more mature. So I think that helped. Now, what are other things that helped? It really, he's much better at this than I am, I completely admit. Um, you have to have time where it's not about work. Mm. So you have to have time where it's just you and your spouse talking about fun stuff or, you know, something. It can't always be about, oh, we have to make sure this gets done tomorrow. Oh, we've got this deadline on Friday or things like that. Admittedly, he is much better at doing that, like leaving it at the office. I am really bad at it. So he keeps me on track, just says, you know what? I don't want to talk about this right now. That's This is my no business time. I'm like, you're right. And so I've gotten, he's taught me to be better at that over time. I still admit I fail sometimes, but I try, so. Yeah, I think that Stephanie and I are the same way. We we do create a let's not. I my brain, I'm done. I just don't have the capacity to have an intelligent conversation yeah. about business. I'm tired. I just don't want to talk business. Let's you know, let's talk about wine or yeah. go yeah. have dinner, whatever the conversation might be. Now you've got children. How old yeah. are your How old are your kids now, Robin? So my daughter is 16, and my son is 10 and a half. So they're in that age where they need to go to lots of different things. My daughter's driving, but not by yourself yet so we're still we're still the mom taxi um and yeah so that's kind of i kind of have three jobs because i've got my work have video i've got real estate i've got the kids family um because it's our schedule like every night i'm like okay what's it what event is this today what's tomorrow what's the next day what's going on for the week what's going on next week who has to drive somebody where so it's a bit of a event master constantly going on so. now do you as a I often talk to, you know, investors, business owners, where not just the mom, you know, both, both parents, but, you know, certainly more common with the moms that are in business are feeling guilty because they're not spending enough time with their kids. How do you and George seem to manage that? <laughs> How do you, uh, or do you, do you carry that around or do you, do you think you got a pretty good handle on it? It depends on the day, Patrick. It really depends on the day. Some days it's like, yeah, I'm killing it. And the next day, it's like, this is a complete disaster. I don't think anybody, anybody who tells you you can have a perfect quote unquote work-life balance is just completely out of their mind or they're just not, they just don't have that much stuff going on. So when you've got as much stuff going on as we do, and we've got a lot of evening events, you've got the same thing. You're, you're doing stuff, you're doing rain meetings in the evening. I am too. I'm doing other events in the evenings. I'm doing weekend stuff. So how do you manage all that? Our kids are awesome in the sense they're super independent i started out doing it that way it was like by the time they hit grade one you're making your own lunches you guys can do this they both do their own laundry like there's a bunch of stuff life skill stuff that they've got set up and they're just independent people like they're very um i want to say they're very mature some days some days they are some days they aren't but yeah they're good at doing things for themselves they both know how to cook really well so that all helps but you still have to be there and I find as they get older, you have to be there more, like in a different way. So 
I try to do things like once in a while, I'll work at home or I have some flexibility in what I do during the day so I can take advantage of that. And, you know, I try to take my kids out. My um, son and I went to a Jays game last weekend together and spent the weekend in Toronto. So we try to do different things together. But if I told you honestly that I had it all together, there's, that would be a lie. There's, I don't have it all together. I've got some days where it's just overwhelming and crazy, but then I just have to take a breath. And that's also why I've got like my spouse and I, we, we kind of split those worries. If I'm having a bad day, he's like, no, you got this. You're, you're good. It's okay. It's going to, it'll be better. And my kids are supportive too. Like they know sometimes mom's got a lot going on this week. I need some extra help. And they're on, they're on board with that. So yeah, I think it's good. We have a good relationship with our kids. I know I feel like they tell me things that maybe I didn't tell my parents when I was that that age. So I think it's good. I, if you ask them on the podcast, they may give you a different answer, but that's my interpretation. Well, speaking of parents, let's go back a little ways, Robin, because you know, here you sit today, entrepreneurial with a successful business. You're doing what you're doing. You're in the relationship with George. How long have you guys been married, by the way? A long time. <laughs> we got married. <laughs> we got married in 1994. So now, okay. So go back. So here you are, you're entrepreneurial. So give me a little bit of background about your upbringing. Were you, were you kind of wired to be entrepreneurial or were your parents entrepreneurial? What, what was your background a little bit as a kid growing up? Okay. So I, I'm from a farm, so dairy farm and cash crop. And we also had tomatoes, so fruits. And uh, yeah, it was, Part of everyday life that you got up early, you worked hard. I remember helping my parents. Now I try not to do this myself, but helping my mom at the end of the year doing all the bookkeeping. Like we had all the receipts, we had to make sure they were good for the accountant. So I never really thought of it as being entrepreneurial. It was just our life, like being farmers. That was what we did. We were. My dad would go out and milk the cows and come in for breakfast with us all, and then go back out and work again until lunch and then come back in and then have supper together. And so he was there a lot. My mom was stay at home mom. And so she was there for us, you know, all the time, which was great. And then, um, funnily enough, they, of course, they eventually retired. They're retired now and then, but they never really retired. They just got busier. So my dad started a horse carriage driving business and my mom started multiple businesses. She's an artist. Uh, so she does, Children's, she she has children's books that she illustrates and she's done painting classes for people. So she's always been doing things, which I never really thought about as entrepreneurial, but she's def, she definitely is. Um, and I never really thought of myself as entrepreneurial. I guess I kind of maybe would be an accidental entrepreneur because, and I totally credit that to George's influence as well, because we got into real estate Basically, he said, I want to invest in real estate. And I'm sure you hear the story all the time, Patrick, where one spouse is like, yeah, let's invest in real estate. And the other spouse is like, uh, I don't know if this is a good idea or not. So I was more of the, okay, I trust you. Let's go ahead. And and it, and it worked. So it, it was good. But I was definitely not that involved in the real estate or George's business, for that matter, when it started. So I didn't think of myself as entrepreneurial. Um, our kids were little and I was subsumed with taking care of them. Um, 
And then over time, I got more interested in it because he was really good at telling me about, hey, you need to sit down and look at this stuff. And I was looking at it going, okay, where is our money going? Where is it coming from? What's what's happening here? So I got more and more invested in what was going on. Um, and then I guess, I don't know at what point it switched over, but at some point I sat down with him and said, look, you know, all of the things that are happening with our real estate and with your business. And I don't. And if you get hit by a bus, this is going to be really bad. So I said, I need to take, I need to step up. I need to start looking at what's going on with her life and take control. I don't want to be someone who doesn't know what's happening. And so from that point, I gradually started taking over more and more of the real estate um, portfolio and activities to the point now that I run the real estate portfolio from the sense of like the day-to-day operations. So I deal with property managers and I do bookkeeping, all that kind of stuff. So I, I run that side of the business. And he runs the, let's get the deals, let's organize the deals, let's get things done. He likes going out and finding new things. So that's how our partnership in that has evolved over time. And it works really well now. And that's, I guess, a really long answer to your question, but that's kind of how I got to where I am. Well, that's fine. That's great. So when did, but just out of curiosity, when did you and George start investing in real estate? How long ago? So it was in 2001. So it was the year that our daughter was born. Uh, and the first property we bought was his office. And it was it was kind of a strange situation because I always I I really subscribe to that um, position that people aren't lucky, they work hard, they work hard and they take take opportunities. But in this case, my brother was helping us at the time and he happened to be visiting the, the building that we were looking at. And the owner was outside. He didn't know that we were interested in buying. And the owner was talking to a neighbor and said, yeah, this is the the lowest offer I'm going to accept. This building is 150. And we're like, okay, well, that's what we're going to offer then. So that was our first building. We got it for a really good, really good price. We still have it today. I think that's such a big step for small business owners. Anytime they can own their own build, their own building, you know, I, you know, when I tell that story and share that story with members, I, I call it my million dollar accident because I literally accidentally bought the building I was in. And now 20 years later, it's like yeah. gone up so much. I was a great tenant. I raised my rent occasionally and I always paid yep. on time. So it yeah. was really awesome. So, you know, I always yeah, encourage I, people. 100%. Yeah. hundred <laughs> yeah. percent agree. If you have your own business, buy the land, buy the building. Yeah. hundred percent agree. So I see a little bit of the entrepreneurial spirit. You know, we, we talk about our entrepreneurial accidents and, you know, that's how I refer to it because many people are accidental entrepreneurs. And, but mm-hmm. I also, I've also come to realize you think about your parents and their farming background, dairy. Interestingly enough, I've probably had a, you know, a half a dozen guests on the show now that were in fact mm-hmm. specifically, not just farmers, but they, they came from a dairy farm background. And I attributed that yep. to because, uh, you know, uh, I think they most of them, I think nah, nah, not all of them, but most of them have been here in, in the Fraser Valley, which is, you know, that's part of, you know, it's a farming kind of community, if you will. But uh, mm-hmm. so it's, it's interesting to hear your story about having a background in dairy farming. I think that predisposition, I, I call it a genetic predisposition, it's in your DNA. So when the mm-hmm. opportunity to start a business shows up, you don't resist it. I think people that are not wired that way would automatically resist it, you know, which isn't to make anybody wrong. It's yeah. just the observation of people 
that have that kind of entrepreneurial spirit and that's what it shows up. So when George presents yeah. it to you, you just kind of go, okay, let's start taking a look at it. Yeah. And I, I would agree with that. I think there's something about that farm background um, that I don't know what it is. And I grew up in it. So maybe I should be able to define it better, but something about the hard work and like, you can see it's two things. One, you can see how your hard work pays off and you can also see how that are out of your control affect your life. So the weather, nobody can control that. So you have to you have to adjust for that constantly. Um, but you can control, yeah, I'm getting up at five o'clock in the morning every day. I'm making sure I've got the best breeding stock. I've got the best equipment. Like you're doing all these other things to work hard to, to have success. So I don't know, it's, maybe it's the hardworking spirit of a farmer. I have no idea. It sounds cheesy, but I, to some degree, I think that's true. I think it is. I, I, and I, I just believe work ethic. You learn. I have, I have a farming background myself. So I, I see that work ethic is, uh, you know, certainly, I don't know if it's trained into you, but it is, it just becomes work ethic. You learn it. You, you know, you learn that nothing comes easy and guess what? Pick up a shovel or a fork and, you know, get to work. Right. That's sometimes just how it is. Yeah. My dad never let us sleep in. So he came <laughs> in from the barn and everybody was awake. <laughs> As a teenager, I resented it, but now I'm happy because I'm a morning person. So I get a lot of work. I get a lot of work done in the morning. But yeah, there's something about it that you just—it's hard to explain. I love it. I I wish my kids were mm. on the farm, and I try to get them there as as often as possible. My daughter is a huge horse person, so she would probably she would spend every minute at our my parents' farm if she could. Um, but yeah, there's just something about farm kids. I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's interesting. How do you define success, Robin? <laughs> well, success, I say it's not about money. It is in a little bit in the sense that you need enough to be able to do the things that you want to with your life. So if I want to be able to donate $500 to a particular cause, Puerto Rico, for example, that's that's in the news. I don't have to worry about that. I like that part of success. I want to be able to do the things I'd like to do with life, but mostly it's about my family. So, you know, are my kids doing well in school? Are they good human beings? Are they good human beings to other people? Are they independent? Are they polite? Like all those kinds of things. Are they courageous? I actually think my kids are better human beings than I am because I, they, they do things that just amaze me that I didn't do at that age. And I didn't even have the courage to do at that age. So I they that's sort of where my success lies. It's not so much about things, but about the people that are around me, especially my children. You and George really part of measuring your success is in the development of your children. When you look back on your own mm -hmm. life and you look at your parents and your mom and your dad back in those days, do you think they were as intentional as you were? Or do you think you have a different level of awareness? Or what was the difference in how your mom and dad raised you compared to, let's say, how you and George are raising your children? <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's a hard question. I actually don't think there was a lot of difference because I thought my parents did a really good job. I, I totally admire them. They're probably the reason I know they're the reason that I'm the person I am today. I love them to bits. We're great friends. Um, we weren't friends, friends, quote unquote, friends when I was a teenager or I've definitely grown to appreciate them more as I got older, as I'm sure every every child does. They just, gosh, that's a really hard question, Patrick. You're totally stumping me. 
Well, I don't know that it's, you know, and we may not have an awareness of it either. Yeah. I don't know. They just like, they were always there. They didn't get, they weren't like angry parents. They were supportive. Um, you know, they drop me off at my volleyball games and pick me up and things like that. Now they weren't like the parents that were always on the sidelines yelling at you and, and things like that. That was, they weren't that kind of people. They were just always there for you. Like they were just really supportive. And I, I, I know my, I've had this conversation with my kids about if one thing that you like about what we're doing or one thing that you don't like, what would it be? And you know, they're just like, yeah, you're, you're supportive. You don't get angry. You listen to us, those kinds of things. And that's really important for kids. Like they, they need to know that they were valued. And I definitely felt valued. So you pass that on. Now, when you think about your own children, do you, you know, do you have visions for, you know, legacy, their kids might take on the business? Do you have a, you know, do you see them as entrepreneurial and hope that that's the direction they go? Or do you just kind of let it go where it's going to go? And I'm sure there's a degree of that. But, you know, as a parent, do you, are, do you, are you intentional around that kind of thought process for you? Well, we definitely talk about business in front of our kids. So we don't, we talk about money in front of them. We talk to them specifically about money, about where our money's coming from, where it's going to, debt, how much money we make. Like they know that stuff to a certain degree the 10 like when you're 10 and a half you know less than the 16 year old um i think that's important because they need to know why are we making the decisions that we're making so i'm not intentional in the sense of yeah i definitely you're going to take over this real estate business and do everything the same and you're going to become an accountant and you're going to do that and that's no i very much want them to do what their passion is but i also want them to be smart about money and make money making decisions I think that's where our intentional our intention comes in. Yes, I would like to pass on our real estate to them, but I'm not going to force them to do it if that's not what where they're where they're at. You uh, work with lots of business owners and real estate investors. Do you see some common commonalities between those that you look at and and view as successfully financially or in their business? versus those that are struggling or, you know, constantly challenged? Do you see some, some patterns, you know, some observations that you would pass on to somebody? Yeah. So the people that are successful, um, I find are very organized, very focused. They focus on what they're good at and they hire everything else out. That's the other thing. I see them being very intentional with what they're doing. They don't go haphazardly, I'm going to do this for six months and I'm going to do another thing for six months and things like that. They're going to, they go through it. If things don't work out, they learn from the mistake and they move on and they keep going. So no business is, uh, no successful business owner has this curve where it's constantly going straight up. That's just not how life works. That's not how business works. They've got like, they're going up and then there's a dip because of something and then they're going back up again and there's another dip and they people that are successful learn from the dips, they prepare for the dips and then they keep going. Um, and honestly, like they work their butts off. That's the other thing they do. They're hard workers. They don't, this is not a lazy person's game. This is hardworking. When you consider yourself, you're not really a female in a man, a male world, but I know that when I speak with other successful female entrepreneurs, there's a degree of that that they have to I don't want to say battle but they are constantly being aware of that they're they're being a female in this world is there any of that 
in an entrepreneurial world? Is that is there a space where that shows up for you that you've had to really go bumping up against that, if you will, that you've had to really lean into it and go, no, I'm I'm good. I'm as good at this as you are or better and move forward. Have you had that experience? I haven't had anything overt and I, I work, but it's there. So I found when I was younger, um, working when you're younger, you're not at those higher levels where you're tending to bump into more of that attitude. I've always worked in fairly male dominated industries. So first I was working in software. So if you sit around the table, often you're the only, the only woman in the room. Um, accounting is not quite like that. There's, there's a lot more women in accounting. Um, and then in, in at rain meetings, when I go to rain meetings, there's definitely a lot of women there. But I, I notice it more now, and it bothers me more now. So I don't put up with it. So, you know, if there's an event that, and I do a lot of event planning and lots of of those kinds of things. So, um, lots of marketing related things related to brand and things like that. So, I'm very conscious of are we how are we portraying women? Are we even portraying women in what we're doing? Do we have a female speaker? Do we have women on the the images that we're using? Which I know sounds simple, but it does have an impact. So, I I'm going to say fight against it. It's not a fight, but I just try to be really conscious of it, and I'm I am naturally and try to work against it that way. So if I get artwork back that has it's for some sort of entrepreneurial poster or something like that for an event and there's only men in the artwork, I'm like, no, back. This has to, this is redo it. I'm not accepting this. Would I have done that 20 years ago? No, I would not have. I mean, I could go on and on about little things. There's nothing there, but there's nothing like super overt that I've ever encountered where little lady like sit down and shut up I haven't had that and if someone did that to me I would tell them to go to hell so that's just the way I am so you have an awareness around it but you know ultimately that's it so if you were if you were passing any kind of guidance on to other females in an entrepreneurial or thinking going into business for themselves or being part of a business in 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 a way like you are with their significant other is there any is there any kind of guidance you would give to them is there any kind of tips that you would pass on (laughs) <laughs> don't bring cookies to the meetings, business meetings, because then you're just the person bringing cookies instead of an actual entrepreneur. I know some people do that because they think it eases whatever. But don't do it. Don't offer to get food for people. Don't offer to get coffee. I mean, these are all basic, stupid things, but they're kind of a big deal in how people perceive you. Don't let people talk over you. If you have an idea, make sure it's heard. Those are probably the big ones. Uh, be confident. Don't let people tell you that, eh, that I don't think that's going to work. Keep going. Prove them wrong. I've always experienced you as, as confident. Have you always been relatively confident, Robin? Have I always been confident? I would say I've always tried to be very good at what I've done. So I'm a type A personality, which means I like to, I'm a high achiever. That part of me is confident. Um, I'm smart and I work hard and I know I can get things done. But being 44 now, I'm definitely far more confident than I when I was 24. Far more willing to, to tell people what I really think. I don't really care anymore about making sure people like me. I'd rather just, you know, tell the truth. So I guess if that's a measure of confidence, over time, I've become far more confident. And then, you know, some days, I think everybody, everybody likes to portray this I guess I call it like their Facebook life, 
like things are great. Everybody's happy. There's always good things happening. That's not always the case. Like you, you have crappy things that happen to you. You have days when things are going wrong, but I'm not usually the person to share that with other people. I honestly believe in the fake it till you make it. Sometimes you got to fake it until you can actually do it. And if you keep trying, then you will succeed at it. But um, overall, I would say confidence wise, I'm a lot more confident than I've ever been in my entire life. I want to spend a little bit of time on confidence because I think it's such a, you know, we, there's, there was a phrase that I, I think Richard Dolan once passed on, which was confidence is borrowed. We borrow confidence and it's borrowed from, you know, in, mm-hmm. as a speaker, it's borrowed from the audience often. And other times it's, you know, it mm-hmm. could be borrowed from the people that we surround ourselves with. Do you find that you mm-hmm. rely on your significant other, your kids, the people around you that, do they give you confidence? Do you draw on your confidence from those people around you? Oh, 100%. So confession time, before I got on the call with you, Patrick, I was talking to George because I said, I'm really nervous about this call. Like, I'm not sure like how it's going to go. And I listen to the podcast, so I know generally what's going to happen, but I'm just really nervous. And he just said, you know, you got this. You're, it's going to be fine. You know, just go for it. I know you're going to do a great job. And we do that with each other a lot. Like we, and I think that's the mark of a good relationship is being able to rely on the other person. Like when I need a pick me up, I know he's going to have me have my back. He will never tell me, no, this isn't going to work out. Like he's totally going to have my back. And my kids have my back too. Like we're pretty open. Like our household is pretty honest with each other. And you know, if I have a speaking engagement or a big event or something like that, I'll tell them, I'm like, yeah, I'm really nervous about this. Like, this is, there's a lot riding on this. I'm like, mom, you got it. You got it, mom. I'm like, okay, you're right. I do have it. So I rely on them hundred percent. So. Do you create that environment for yourself in the, your working environment and your business environment with your team, with your staff as well? Is it, have you got a good culture that way in terms of supporting and do you drive it that way intentionally? Yeah. And it's, yeah. And it's funny because I'm often the one that's driving it because I do, I do organize a lot of speaking engagements with people that um, speak not for a living or they're, they're not a professional like you are, Patrick. So they're, they're a little bit nervous. So I do a lot of coaching in the sense of you're going to be fine. You've got this, you know what you're talking about. Here's your top points. Like, so I, I create that kind of environment and I just, I've always been, I've never been in a work environment where it's been super negative. Um, and I think that's, I've determined that's partly me. Like my personality is not negative. I'm usually very positive. I always try and see the best in what's going on with people. I always, and this is a hard lesson to learn. I always give people the benefit of the doubt. So if someone seems like they're upset, don't take it personally. Maybe something, you know, something happened in their life. So I try to be supportive in my work environment and people are supportive back to me. So it seems to be working. I, I think that if you're generating positive energy around people, they give it back to you. I, I 100% believe in that whatever you send out into the world is what you're going to get back. Did you have to face a big hurdle in your life that you've had to overcome? Have you ever had some bigger adversity in your life that you've had to overcome? Mm, that's a good question. So I would be lying if I told you no, because I think anybody who gets to this age in life and who's been doing entrepreneurial things, if they haven't had adversity, I think they're probably lying to you or to themselves. We've definitely had tough times with our business where 
the cash flow was not what it should be. There's a lot more going out than there was anything coming in. And when we had little kids, and that was scary. That was really scary. And I think every entrepreneur, you're nodding. I could see every, I think every entrepreneur goes through that. And I think, I even though it sucked to go, it sucks to go through it at the time. I think you're actually a better entrepreneur, better business owner coming out on the other side and succeeding through it. Cause you can see there's an end, like you can, you can overcome that adversity and it was no secret sauce. It was a lot of hard work, putting your back into it, supporting each other. I think that's one really big thing I see with couples that are successful when they work together is they don't blame each other. They support each other. So if somebody makes a mistake and we all make mistakes, it's not about saying, oh, you made this mistake. Look how you screwed up. How am I going to fix this? It's okay. Well, that's okay. Let's move on. We're going to learn from this and go, go forward. You have to know that the person that you're with has your back um, and that lets you make mistakes and lets you succeed. Like when we went through that hurdle of like, wow, this, things aren't going well, you know, how do we fix it? We were hundred percent supporting each other and also looking at a plan together of, okay, how do we get through this? And some of that plan is we work a lot harder. And some of that plan is we're going to do X, Y, and Z. So maybe we're going to do this differently with this property and do something differently with this property. And that'll help us out. So we got through it um, and went on to buy a heck of a lot more property. So it all worked out really well for us. But at the time, it's really, really scary. And you just have to know that you'll get through it. You can get through those really scary times. And you kind of feel like afterwards, like, yeah, I did it. I, I, if I can survive that, I can do anything. So that that's great. And I think the other hurdles, the other hurdles in life, really, the financial ones are hard because, you know, you have to pay the bills. Um, it's more hurdles like health-wise or if your family is hurt or things like that, those are the things that bother me a lot more. Now we haven't had anything super serious, but I know we did have, we've had a few health scares in our family and um, George has had one and I've had one. And oddly enough, my positive attitude thing, I guess, gets me through it too, because sometimes people, they get a health care and they're like, immediately, this is going to be the most awful thing in the world. It's cancer. We're going to die. And I'm like, eh, it's going to be fine. They'll give me some pills. It'll be okay. So I think I have a little bit of a haze of, of rose colored glasses that help me get through those, those really stressful times in life. So maybe that's naive, but it's gotten me this far. So I'm going to keep going with it. So that goes a question I often ask of, you know, entrepreneurs and, and business owners in terms of what do you do when, I mean, ultimately shit's hitting the fan and it's just like, you're tough slugging. There is, I guess, for me, I know mm -hmm. that you can only get philosophical around things. It's, you know, there's a place where you just go, you know, something we will get through this. This is about facing the adversity. It'll make you better when you come out the other side of it. But for you, when you're, mm -hmm. it, what is the mindset that you have to strike into aside from rose colored glasses? Is there an actual, yep. do you have an intentional practice around when things are really coming down hard and you're facing those adversities that you, you know, yourself talk around that kind of stuff, Robin? Yeah. So one thing I just say at first is, okay, breathe. Like, okay, let's just breathe. Being, getting super anxious about this is not going to help anything. Okay. And then let's look at this practically. What is the worst case scenario? And usually the worst case scenario isn't that big of a deal. And I know this sounds strange. I'm going to use an example I just did with my daughter because we have, she, um, she's a horseback rider 
And she fell off her horse and got a concussion in August. It was her second one. And uh, when she went back to school in September, it was pretty much a disaster. And we had to pull her out of school. And she hasn't been back in since. So uh, because of her symptoms. So she's in grade 11. So obviously she's getting ready to think about universities and that kind of thing. She doesn't want to be missing school. And she was pretty upset. And I said, okay. What's our worst case scenario here? Our worst case scenario probably is that you're going to lose your semester of school. That's, that's probably the worst case scenario for courses. So let's talk through what the plan is if the worst case scenario happens. And so we talked through all that. And I said, it's not the end of the world. You're going to survive this and it'll go forward and everything else is gravy. So that's kind of how I look at if I'm in a difficult situation too. I say, okay, what's the worst case scenario? Okay, what are the steps we're going to take to mitigate that? Um, how can we work towards uh, getting over these obstacles? And I actually make lists. I'm a big list person. I, I do lots of do. I carry a planner with me everywhere because I believe in paper and writing things down. And I'm just a planner. So part of my headspace is I analyze things. What are all the options? And then let's go forward with the best plan. And that's how I handle it. So I don't let things paralyze me. I think if you get to the point where you're paralyzed by indecision, that's the worst case. That is the worst case scenario. I want to say, okay, well, here, here's option A, here's option B, here's option C. What's the best path to take? And then let's drive forward on that path. Let's work our butts off to get drive forward on that path. I truly, truly believe in the value of hard work. Nobody got anything by sitting on their butts and being lazy. You have to work hard. And I, I don't, I don't believe in luck. I don't think it really exists to a certain extent. I think a lot of that's just hard work. So when you, when you're writing, I want to go back a couple things because, you know, the writing part of it, you like to get things, you know, what I say about writing is it gets it out in front of you. Number one, it gets it out of the hard yeah. drive called your brain. So you're not trying to carry it around. You don't continually have the mm -hmm. loop, the loop of the same conversation every time. So once you do you see yeah. that? Do you find the power of writing and making a list, in, you know, or writing out a plan, is a way for you to stop the loop of the intellect going on and on and having the same conversation with yourself over and over? Is that, do you have that same experience? Absolutely. I, I, you probably do the same thing. I have a notepad by my bed, so if I'm up in the middle, if I wake up in the middle of the night with thoughts going through my head, I just write it down, and then I can go back to sleep. I try to get away with a little bit um, not having that paper, not having that book with me for oh, about, say, three years or so. And I was just so, I felt so inefficient and a little bit out of control constantly. So I said, you know what, I've got to go back to it. I mean, everything's on like your phone now or your tablet or whatever, but that just doesn't work for me. So I really find the physical act of writing something down it's almost like it sucks it from your brain out your fingertips and onto the paper, and then you can analyze it better. I totally believe in that practice. I think it's the best thing to write stuff down. And it's different than typing it on something. I, if I'm really trying to tackle a problem or really trying to analyze something, I always take paper to pen. I eventually I'll get on, I'll get it on the computer and things, but I always take paper to pen. Do you think that, you know, in the relationship that you have with George as business owners, you're big on communication. I mean, that's, that's one of your key mm -hmm. kind of gifts or your, it's just something that you do. And, and whether you do that because, mm -hmm. you know, conscious of it or unconsciously because of your nature, but do you, do you find that your role in this is 
to really drive that? Or does George kind of have that same attitude towards it where you're constantly being aware of the communication that you have as a couple and with your family? Or is that something that evolved over time? Tell me a little bit about that because I often see with real estate investors and business owners, which I speak to a lot, is the communication aspect is so, it breaks down so quickly if you're not conscious of it, if you have to be very intentional about it. Is Mm -hmm. that something that you've discovered over the years as well, Robin? Yeah, I think that communication is definitely key. And I think part of it, it's really easy to forget about it or um, let it go by the wayside because you're so busy constantly in the sense, you know, I've got full-time job and the kids and the real estate and things like that. And suddenly you can think, oh, it's a week's gone by and we haven't really talked about anything significant. So you have to be intentional about it to the point where I'm like, okay, well, you know, this is our hour by ourselves. Let's talk about such and such and such and such. And George is very good at you making sure, you know, if there's, he's going out and getting deals and things like that, like he's um, coming back and we're talking together about what's happening and analyze things like that. So relationship wise though, if you don't make time for it, it's so easy to just, it just slips away from you. That's great. Now, when we talk about hurdles that you faced and once again, I, I always go back to being a couple in business. Sometimes the hurdles you face that, you know, you, you mentioned it where you can't start blaming those around you. And are you and George really conscious of that? Do you have a tendency to want to blame, but then you back off or do you automatically go to, okay, where was I responsible for this or what role did I play in this? How's your thought process around that? So we never blame each other like that. Just a hundred percent. We don't do that. I think that's just the road to ruin. If you're a couple, we just never do it. So even if something didn't turn out, I wasn't like, Oh, you totally screwed this up. I would never say that. I'm just like, okay, well, let's move on. I think we're couples, and I've seen this just through the accounting firm and seeing lots of businesses together, couples together in business. The couples that are really successful don't blame each other. And the ones that aren't, they do blame each other. And usually we say, well, I guess they're on the road to a divorce. I mean, that's just the way it works. You can't be, you can't go through hurdles where you're literally staying up at night with panic attacks blaming your spouse and being angry at your spouse at the same time, you have to be able to give each other a hug and say it's gay. And I think that's the way you have to do it. What advice would you give your 20 year old self, you know, at, uh, at, you know, at this point in your life, if you look back, if you're, you know, what would you want to tell your 20 year old self? What would I want to tell my 20 year old self? Great question. And I knew you were going to ask that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, of course I didn't pre-prepare an answer for you. I would tell my 20 year old self, don't care so much about what other people think about you. That would be 100% the thing I would tell myself. I think, and I particularly think women are like this or girls are like this. You know, you don't need to care about what other people think about you. You just have to care about how you feel about yourself. Um, I think if more young women would, were like that, I think they would, they would get through that hard times of your twenties and maybe your thirties a lot more easily. Okay, so this is a little bit of a curveball to that question. And what do you want to tell your, I don't know, let's say your 70-year-old self? 70-year-old self. What I would tell my 70-year-old self is take a break. Uh, enjoy, enjoy your grandchildren, I hope. 
I know you've got a couple, so I'm sure you're enjoying them. Uh, just enjoy like the sunset and the sunrise and, and, you know, watching the birds outside your window. I mean, my grandparents who are no longer here, um, my dad's parents, they were just the most perfect couple because they spent all their time together when they got older and they would sit outside and, and feed the birds and they would go on picnics and they were just, it was so beautiful. And that's what I want for my 70 year old self. Do you find that you, like entrepreneurs, can you get caught up in the doingness of business and the intensity of business and the type A personality that you have? Do you have to really discipline yourself to sometimes slow down so that you can look forward to that and, and say, hold it, you know, we have life today. You know, I, I'm, I'm a big, you know, proponent. I just believe now at this point in my life, what I've come to realize is that there is no such thing as work-life balance. There's just life. And you yeah. either have a great life and you're, you're designing your life intentionally or you're not. There isn't a work-life balance. I'm either loving my work and loving what it's doing or I'm adjusting to, to bring it into a place where I'm, I'm loving my life. So for you, once again, as that type A personality, the intensity of an entrepreneur, do you find yourself sometimes, you and George, sitting back and going, hold it. We need to slow down here and just get grounded in our life again. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, especially with the type A personality people like myself, I'm actually worse at this than George. I'm a hundred percent guilty of this is I just want to, I'm very much a let's get things done person and I can get wrapped up in the, okay, well, let's get these 10 things done today. They have to get done. And really we could probably get five of those done and the rest, maybe they're not that important. And you have to learn how to, to, to jive with that. And I think the best advice we got was last year, we were talking to somebody at a Christmas party and he says, every year, January 1st, I plan all my vacations for the year. I take the time off, I put it in my calendar and I plan my vacations. And I said, that is awesome. And we're doing that this year, which we did. And it was great because we had the whole year to look forward to. It's in your calendar. Nothing's going to touch it. Sometimes you have to move things around a little bit, but it just makes life a lot easier when you know, hey, I'm going to take these breaks. I'm not going to let the whole year slip by and go, oh, it's December. I haven't taken a vacation yet. So that's totally a practice we're doing for the rest of our lives as far as I'm concerned. Just being intentional about making sure you take breaks, making sure that what you're doing at that moment is actually really important to what you need to get done that day, that week, that month, that year. You know, is it more important to go outside with your son and play baseball or basketball than it is to finish up your real estate bookkeeping? Yes. So those are the kind of conversations you have to have with yourself. So Robin, when you think about your children and the, your busyness, do you, one of the things that I've learned over the years and have been, I guess, guided around is being present with your children. Can you find yourself being pretty distracted? Do you, do you really kind of focus now on being present when you are with your kids, like you're making sure that you're, you know, that you're there really listening and being intentional in, in being present with them. I'd be totally lying to you if I was present and hundred percent there all the time when we were together, I would, that would be a complete and utter lie, but I do try to be really conscious of that now because they call me on it too. They're like, mom, get off your phone. <laughs> like, okay, you're right. That was, that was my bad. I'm out of bounds. I know when we just, when we went on vacation, uh, our family and some extended family to Hawaii, 
at the end of August. And I said, I will not be looking at my work email for the whole time we're gone. And my daughter said, I don't think that you're going to be able to do that. And I said, yes, I am. And I proved her wrong. I was able to stay off my work email. So I'm trying to be better at turning stuff off. I know the cell phone is a fantastic invention, but it's also kind of a weight around your ankle a lot of the times. So I just try to be better at being there when I'm supposed to be there and not being distracted by all the million things that are going through my head constantly. And I think a lot of it's that too. I mean, when you have so much going on in your life and you're so busy, I find it hard at least to turn my brain off. There's these things constantly going through my head. So I have to be really conscious of saying, no, stop that. Focus on what you're doing right now instead of getting caught up in all the other stuff and missing the joy of the moment that you're in. If you were to pass on, you know, some guidance and I don't, you know, it's, it's hard not to, you know, when I have women on the show, women entrepreneurs, I just see so much value in women entrepreneurs who have kind of are leaders in my world. I see you as a leader. I see, and I don't want to call you a pioneer because you're not necessarily, you're not a pioneer, but you're just a, a leader in the world of business and you work with your husband and his partner and you've grown the business around BDO. If you're supporting or giving guidance to other women in business, is there anything that you would take away from the years that you've got Go, man, if I was going to share something with other women going into business, is there something that you would like pick up on and say, you need to know this? Honestly, you know what? It's okay to miss that business meeting. It's okay to miss that phone call. It's okay to not get that thing done today because when your kid really needs you, they need you. So that's one thing I would say, like quit feeling guilty about it. I know other women that I've worked with over the years, like we've had horror stories or there's a kid sitting next to you puking and you're trying to do a phone meeting because you needed to do this phone meeting. Like, did you really need to do it? Probably not. That's really hard to get over though, because you think you have to be able to do everything and you don't, especially if you're a type A entrepreneurial person, you want to be successful in every facet of your life. And sometimes you just need to let something go and say, no, I can't do this now. I have to take care of my kid. I can't be everywhere all the time. So that would be the one thing I I would say. The other thing is accept the fact that you're going to have days where you're not the best mom. You're not the best business person. You're not the best wife. And everybody has those days, but for some reason, women tend to take them more personally. I don't know why. And if you can ever stop feeling guilty, you know, put your efforts to something else. Don't worry. Stop being guilty. There's a lot more positive emotions that you can put that towards. When my daughter's worrying about things and saying, oh, what if this happens? What if that happens? Or my son's doing the same thing. I said, like, I heard this great, great quote, which is worrying is wishing for something you don't want to happen. So stop doing that and focus on something else. I think that's such a great lesson that you can pass on to your children as well, is that, you know, really how you define or develop your mindset really is important. And I didn't learn that or even start to discover that until many, many years later, you know, after growing up and being in businesses, just how big an impact our own mindset, our own thought process has, and that it's a constant training of development. So you're passing that on to your children on early. Yeah, I try to, because I really think it's important. Like I, that's why I say our household is pretty open, like, because we have those open conversations and they tell me things about they're worrying about this, worrying about that. 
So I talk them through like, okay, what, how would you, how should you be thinking about this? What's a better way to, what's a better way to work through this problem? So we have those kinds of conversations. I don't remember having those kinds of conversations as a kid. Um, it probably, maybe I did. I, and I just put them underneath the, the hat and kept going, but I hope that that gives them a heads up. Um, I hope that helps them start on the path to success. We'll see what happens. Well, it sounds like, you know, as you think through thing, that pragmatic part of you as an entrepreneur, as a mom, as a wife, I'm taking away from the conversation that I'm having is that what you do is pretty intentional. It's, it is really a thought process that you're in, in terms of not just how to make the business better, but how to make your relationship outstanding with your kids, with your husband, with your partner. And communication is a key to it. The habits that you've created for yourself around writing, you know, having a notebook beside your bed, those are, are things that I think, you know, I've certainly learned as well over the years, but I think we could share that with anybody that these are practices that you have. You have a very, you have a practice of being intentional and thinking about that side of it as opposed to being reactive and firefighting. So management by fire mm -hmm. is a, uh, is a very challenging thing to run a business by. And I'm sure that you guys see that a lot in the business that you're at in. Yeah, I, I actually hate that situation where you're just fighting fires constantly like that just like it just makes me cringe so that's why I like having that plan to go forward and I see people doing that all the time there where they're just reacting to this problem or reacting to that problem and you can never get ahead that way and you're constantly in this fight or flight mode so it's not really a fun place to be so that's why I like planning and going after something and being organized. And, and I think that's sort of the key, some of the keys to success. Like, so, you know, even my week, this is going to sound so bad, but even my weekends, I start out the weekend going, okay, these are the things I need to get done this weekend. And I don't necessarily get all of them done. It's part of my nature, I guess. Have you ever had a, a coach that you've worked with or mentor that you rely on for guidance? So I haven't had an official business coach um, that way, but I have a, I call, I would say my mentor, although if I told her that she'd probably be like, no, that's not true. I have a friend that I've known for many, many years. She's quite successful. And so we have a standing lunch once a month and we share what is going on in our lives and how we can be and provide feedback and ideas about what, uh, what we can do to overcome problems. I always, I'm, she may have a different view, but I always think she helps me more than I help her. So that's why I view her as my mentor. And honestly, I view my husband as a mentor too. I share lots of problems with him and get his feedback and opinion. It doesn't mean I necessarily agree with them, but it's, I want to have someone, I have somebody there that I can tell pretty much anything to and get an honest opinion. So Robin, as we kind of wind down the show today, uh, I was like to have a little bit of fun and do some rapid fire questions. And okay. so uh -oh. <laughs> rapid fire is the key. And, uh, you know, interestingly enough, they're, they're, <laughs> they're also lead to uh, rabbit holes, but that's okay. So that's perfect. So rapid fire, let's okay. go. You ready? Okay. okay. Get your brain warmed up. Okay. Here we go. Uh, all right. I will try to be. Okay. What's your, okay. what's your favorite swear word? Shit. Okay. That's quite tame. Good for you. If, uh, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the gates? What would I like to hear God say when I arrive at the gates? Yeah. Welcome home. There you That's go. That's what I would like to hear. 
on a scale of one to 10, how weird are you? <laughs> I think I'm like a five, but I'm pretty sure if you ask my friends and relatives, I'd probably be like an eight. But oh, I think I, I'm a five. <laughs> I disagree. I would put you at a three. <laughs> so oh, so okay. five is very tame. Good for you. What are you just not very good at, Robin? What am I not very good at? Oh, uh, I'm not very good at sports. I know my husband's been trying to get me to play golf for a long time, and I just suck at it. So it's his dream at one, one point for us to retire and go golfing, but I really suck at golf. So I might be his caddy, but I don't think I'll be a golfer. <laughs> Room, your desk, or your car, what do you clean first? Desk. You like a clean desk, hey? Well, if I flipped around the Skype and you looked at my desk right now, you would not believe that. But when I'm done and I'm in thinking mode, I want it all gone. So, yeah, there you go. But I would clean my desk first. Okay. Favorite tune. Do you have a favorite one? Favorite tune. Oh, my gosh. Can I say favorite band? Right? Sure. You can say anything you want. The Lumineers. They're from the states. They're uh, from Denver. Yeah. And my favorite, and the favorite song they have is called "Gun Song." So it's really good. Great. I saw them in concert, and they're amazing. Favorite movie? Dead Poet Society. What are you grateful for? My family. That one's easy. That one's easy. That's great. That one's su super easy. Well, I'm grateful for always, always for having my guests on the show. I'm grateful for you joining me today and sharing your insights and a little bit of uh, your wisdom uh, that you've gained over the years. It gives a, a lot of perspective, and, and, I'm, and I'm grateful for the life I live and uh, the businesses I own and my family as well. And uh, certainly grateful for being a grandparent, and that's something that I'm sure that you're mm -hmm. looking forward to. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Yes. No, no pressure. No pressure on the kids yet. <laughs> no, no pressure on the kids yet. Once again, Robin, thanks so much for uh, being on the podcast, The Everyday Millionaire, and uh, have a great day. Look forward to seeing you at the next meeting or when we cross paths again. So thanks very much, Robin. Hey, thanks, Patrick. It was great. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends as it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener. If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.